Hello and welcome to this week's Golf Shake podcast with me, Kieran Clark, your main host here, alongside my regular co-host, Mr. Owen Davis, who will be feeling quite exuberant on this Monday afternoon after the dramatic survival of Nottingham Forest from the English Championship at the weekend. So, Owen, how was your weekend and did you watch the football? I didn't watch the football. I was on the golf course, Kieran, as I should be. The best place for you, I think. Um, But I was getting text updates, which were regularly making me sweat with uh, nervousness. It was a horrible afternoon, but uh, they did it in the end, so... Um, well, they, they, certainly, they certainly did. I found it quite engrossing in that kind of masochistic way. Even I was feeling nervous watching it on TV, so I can't imagine how the actual fans of the club's concern were feeling. Uh, and one guy whose team also won this week, we're actually bringing him in, our very special guest this week, uh, a guy who's synonymous with Golf Shake. I like to call him the ambassador. He's everywhere. He's all over Twitter. He's on YouTube nowadays, posting up videos from his adventures and his many rounds and experiences around the, around the country. And uh, he's probably one of the most passionate golfers I've ever seen. I, I often think that if I had a passion about anything as much as Matt does about golf, it's something else. I, I love that very much. But Matt Holbrook is a very passionate golfer, a tremendous golf shaker, one of our great ambassadors. And he's joining us this afternoon to share his experiences of golf. Matt Holbrook, it's about time we had you on and we do. How are you today? I'm very good, Kieran. How are you? Well, I'm feeling wonderful as always, enjoying uh, and uh, enjoying the wonderful weather we're having here in St Andrews. You know, it's amazing how I watched the golf sixes at the weekend there from down south, and it was looked cold and dark and dull and utterly miserable. When up here, it was resplendent, wonderful sunshine, warm conditions, a little bit of breeze to keep things interesting, and. Uh, you know, it just shows you that the weather sometimes in Scotland, in fact, many times, is actually superior to that of down south. But that's another topic altogether. But I mentioned their golf sixes, which, of course, was the main highlight in the game over the weekend. Obviously, an event at the Centurion Club down in St Albans, a very unique event. The first time the European Tours had this team event. 16 nations were represented in the event. There was group stages on the first day and knockout rounds on the last day. Played over six holes, fast, furious. We also had pyrotechnics and fireworks and music, walk-on music. Some of the players, particularly Andy Sullivan, enjoyed that more than anybody else. I think he thinks he's a darts player or something like that. So we had that, obviously, a bit more kind of razzmatazz and a bit of a, a kind of a showbiz element to the game. We had some kind of minor uh, Z-list celebrities involved as well, from Vernon Kay, straight from Family Fortunes. And I also saw Vinnie Jones was there too. So we, everyone turned up for golf uh, sixes, including, it has to be said, Matt Holbrook and Owen Davis. And Owen, you were there on Saturday. What were, what were your experiences of golf sixes? Obviously, Denmark came through and won it in the end. Uh, Torbjorn Olsen and Lucas Bergard, two young guys getting the win there over Australia in the final. Scotland went through into the semi-finals and came third in the end after beating Italy in the playoff match, while England went out earlier in the day. So, Owen, what were, what were your experiences of golf sixes on Saturday? What was the event like in person were the people there, did they enjoy it? What was, what was the fan response? What was the atmosphere like? Tell us what you thought about it. Yeah, Kieran, I thought it was uh, fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it, actually. <clears throat> you know, I've been to lots of golf tournaments over the years, lots of big ones, and um, I had yeah. as much fun watching golf sixes as I had at, had at most stuff. I mean, the players were interactive, um, you know, really good fun with the fans. I, I, I stood on the, the first tee, it was in the first grandstand um, when England came on for their third match, and... Um, the atmosphere there was was brilliant. Nothing like I've, I've seen in golf at all. Um, so yeah, I, yeah I, I thought it, I thought it was brilliant. And what I liked in particular, actually, as a fan, was um, being able to go and watch something for six holes to completion. Um, and I thought that was really nice that I could spend an hour and a half 
actually see something, you know, go around an entire match, walk around six holes and actually see it finish. And um, so so often in golf and the fact that we play over four days, you can't see that sort of thing happen. Um, you know, even if you're there for, for the final day, you've missed the rest of it. So uh, I thought it was great to go and do that. And I think that kind of time span, um, you know, there was a lot of kids there um, getting involved, a lot of non-golfers. They could actually get a real taste for the game uh, in that period of time and, and not and it not be too long and not get too boring. Um, so it had a lot going for it. I, th- I think the European Tour did a, did a great job on, on its first go at this sort of thing. And um, it'd be great to see it back uh, very soon. Yeah, and I think it's certainly we're going to have it back next year. And I think it's certainly something we're going to see in the European Tour more frequently going forward. Obviously, we had a similar sort of event in Australia earlier in the year. And in the end, I think ultimately, you know, we're not trying to blow up the game and start again. But when you look at televised golf nowadays, and you have essentially 150 events on TV every single year, and they're all 72 hole stroke play, a bit of variety now and again isn't a bad thing at all. And uh, Matt, Owen mentioned a lot, a lot of kids being in, uh, present at the event at the weekend there. And I know yesterday on Sunday, you took your son along to golf sixes, Matt. So what was your thoughts on the day there? How good yeah, was it? It was, um, <clears throat> it was the first time I'd taken uh, my son along to a golf event. Um, just in fear, purely for me, that he can't keep quiet or keep still for longer than 10 minutes. Um, and I think anybody else that's got a six-year-old son can definitely relate to that. Um, but that that environment at the European Tour had set up yesterday was was clearly one that was uh, was open to to, the, to having younger children there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually quite nice for him to sit there and be able to stamp his feet on the grandstand. As Owen said, we uh, we also sat on the first uh, we was also sat on the first tee yesterday when England come out for their quarter final, um, and he he loved watching the smoke going up. Um, but not just him, you know, it was nice to see um, so many children there. Um, it certainly makes a makes a nice difference for, for 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 the kids to be able to go and feel like they can actually really enjoy that style of event. Um, and and the event in general, um, I think I agree with everything Owen said. Um, but for me, just there, there was a couple of things that stood out for me. Um, one was the fact that the players actually seemed to be really having a good time and really enjoying themselves. Um, you know, and it is it's, it's a European Tour event, right? There's uh there was a big prize up up for grabs um so it was nice for those guys to be able to compete i feel under those you know under that with those circumstances if you like of of you know of of it being a bit of fun and and supposed to be enjoyable for everybody yeah i think the players themselves enjoyed having something a bit different there and i must quickly say that oh and i find it very hard to believe that a son of matt holbrook finds it hard to keep quiet for longer than 10 minutes i find that stunning i yeah, that's you know, like father, like shocking. son. <laughs> shocking indeed, yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, it was obviously, I think it was a very entertaining event. I think the format worked really well. Actually, I think the, the holes that they used in the golf course were actually perfect that way. I thought it was nice to start with a par three and so on, and I think that worked quite well. Uh, it was, yeah, I think it was, uh, again, it was something different. And in this day and age where, let's say, so much about televised golf is, is a real sameness and familiarity, it gets a little bit dull at times. Uh, and the European Tour is, you know, it's in many ways lagging behind the PGA Tour. They don't have a great deal of exposure for uh, lesser events in the circuit. So having something like this, which certainly brought attention to it, is, is certainly not a bad thing. Although that said, as a slight caveat, I would uh, I would probably dump uh, Kevin Peterson and the Vernon Kay from the, the broadcast team. I'm not sure we need the, the Family Fortunes guy there anytime soon. But um, 
But other than that, I think it was certainly a success, and we'll certainly see more of it going forward. And uh, obviously, a great win for the two Danish guys. And in the end, an event that's we're trying to attract a younger generation to golf in many ways, and uh, having two young guys winning there perhaps was quite appropriate that way. But on to more regular uh, golf tournaments. This week coming up is the Players' Championship, the unofficial, if you like to call it, the fifth major, in inverted commas, uh, from TPC Sawgrass, obviously, and a very, a very iconic golf course everyone really knows. Obviously, it brings an exciting finish every year with all those water holes towards the end. A lot can happen, good and bad. And we've seen some great drama down the years. It's probably uh, the, the deepest field on the PGA Tour over the year. You know, a really, really strong field. And uh, it's obviously anyone who wins this, it's a major tournament in terms of the, their career. Obviously, it's, it's a bracket under the actual major championships. But if you can win the Players' Championship, you're certainly in that conversation to become a major champion later in the year. So obviously, a great event uh, as all every year. And this year, particularly for viewers in the UK, Sky Sports are actually establishing a, a dedicated channel to the Players' Championship this week, much like they do for the Masters and indeed the Open Championship or the Ryder Cup when it comes around. So seven days of wall-to-wall Players' Championship, obviously a great highlight of the, of the season in golf. And the golf course, I uh, say, is very iconic, and particularly, of course, the 17th hole, the very short par three. The, well, it's not really an island, of course, because there's actually a bit of land to it, but you know, it look, you know that a, a famous green, little kind of heart-shaped green in the middle of the water, which you know sends terror into the players' hearts and uh, obviously it's defined the championship over many years and it's probably the most famous par three in golf so i was going to ask you guys here throw it to you you know, think of par threes obviously par threes are can be most of the great par threes tend to be shorter uh, but what are the your favorite par threes that you've played starting with owen first of all well, owen what is your favorite par three that you've played and maybe not the same answer but what is the most difficult what is the one that strikes fear into your heart well, first up, I mean, I think you're completely right in saying that most great par threes, if not all of them, tend to be shorter. I think we've discussed this before that, you know, I can't think of a par three that springs to mind that is, you'd say is a great, great par three that's longer than 200 yards. So I think it's always yeah. disappointing uh, when you see these some of these courses that have got, you know, 250-yard par threes and people are hitting three woods and drivers at them. It just doesn't need to be that way. Uh, and actually, some of the shortest are, are definitely the most interesting. So um, my favourite par three would be the probably the 12th at um, Royal Birkdale. Um, it's mm-hmm. just a hole that's it's about 180 yards long. Um, it's got a dune either side of it. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of guys will know it, and obviously you'll see it later in the year at the Open Championship. But it's got a big dune behind it, two dunes either side, bunkers set below into those dunes, and, and a raised green. And it's just, it almost bowls in. So... Um, you, you're, you're extremely penalised if you hit a bad shot. You're going to have an awkward lie, uh, awkward stance, um, you know, and making a par is going to be really, really difficult. But if you do hit a good shot, the green's quite small. It bowls in. Like I say, it's only 180 yards. So uh, it gives you a great birdie chance. And I think that's kind of what, what you want from a from a par three. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think just think it's a great hole and framed fantastically. And in terms of um, ones that strike fear into me, I'm actually going to go to my home course here, which is Brampton Park uh, in Cambridgeshire, which has an island green uh, fourth hole, par three, much like the players, uh, which is our stroke index one. Um, the green is tiny, to say the least. Uh, quite a bit smaller, I think, than the, the 17th at the TPC Sawgrass. And, um, yeah, I just, it's, it's, it's never a nice hole. I go regularly regularly missing it um and uh surrounded by water making double bogeys all over the place so um whenever i stand on there there's also um always some sort of fear that strikes me that uh 
and, and a mass amount of relief when you see the ball on dry land. Not necessarily the green, just dry land in general. So uh, they'd be my two picks. <laughs> well, I think I'll try and avoid that hole going forward. Now, actually, you say there that 180 yards is a short par three. For me, that's quite a long par three. That's kind of my limit. So that's a long par three for me. I, I, I like my 120-yard ones. I can reach them usually. Uh, but Matt, looking at you, I find it hard to believe that anything intimidates you in the golf course, Matt. But uh, what par three stand out to you that you've played? You, you've played some great golf courses over the years in recent years, obviously going to Ireland and Scotland as well. What are the par threes that stand out to you? Um, I think it's very difficult for me to pick one. I was actually going to say the uh, the par four um, at Brampton Heath, um, but Owen's beat me to it because I've played his course a couple of times and it is uh, it is quite daunting. Mm. Um, but for me to pick a favourite, it's, it's difficult to pick a favourite. Any any of the par threes on the uh, on the Kings course at Glen Eagles um, mm, yeah. would be right up there for me, and that's that's purely the the, the scenery, the surroundings, the setting that you're in um, is. It's just it's it's incredible, absolutely incredible. I mean, it is by far my favourite golf course that I've played in the UK. Um, and then similarly to Owen, I think I think I've got you know I've got one at my home course, Cone Valley, which is our thirteenth um, hole, and it it does play quite long. The tee shot feels quite tight. Um, you've got a water feature on the left hand side of the green, so you can't pull anything there. And um, it it kind of it, following that, you've got our stroke index one as well. So it's it's a bit of a bit of a card wrecking turn for us. Um, at the home course, but um, yeah, King's course at Glen Eagles for me is, is incredible. Um, I'm just trying to think. There was one that I played recently, Saffron Walden, which I know again. I mean, knows pretty well. I think it's the fourth or fifth hole where you can you can see for miles. You can see Audley End House in the distance, and mm-hmm. and it plays about 160, but it's all downhill as well. Quite a quite a severe drop. Um, so as you can imagine, you you can literally see pretty much the whole town of Saffron Walden up there, which is. Uh, which is lovely. I'm all about the scenery. You can throw bunkers at me. You can throw water hazards at me. Um, I, I can generally phase it all out. Um, as long as I've got something nice to look at, um, you keep me happy. Yeah, and it's very hard to beat the King's Course for scenery at Glen Eagles, obviously. It's the, the most stunning property. One of the great inland courses in the UK, I would say, certainly in Scotland, where most people can associate Scottish golf with being with links courses and so on, but certainly the King's course is, is right up there with the best of inland courses anywhere. It's one of the it's a real classic and the, the best course at Glen Eagles, far better than that monstrosity that they played the Ryder Cup on next to it, the PGA Centenary, which is people who know me quite well know that is not my favourite golf course. And last year I had the pleasure of playing it again uh, for Golf Shake actually and uh, it was a it was a delight. Uh, I wish I could say, but uh, yes, it was an enjoyable day out nonetheless. But yeah, for me personally, in terms of par threes, I kind of going for kind of a personal choice here. It's my favourite par three is actually the third hole at Butte Golf Club, which is a course I kind of grew up playing through my childhood into my teens on the Isle of Butte and um, right on the edge of the water. It's a stunning hole that's played next to the the, the Firth of Clyde and uh, great views across to the Isle of Arran, very mountainous isle, island there. And it's just a great spot, one of the best spots I've seen for any golf course anywhere. And this hole hugs uh, the beach. You play over this wall. It's about 150 yards. There's a burn short of the green, out of bounds beyond it. The sea's to the right. It's everything going for it, and it's it's one of the great spots, one of my favourite holes anywhere. And I think it stands up to any golf course I've played. 
Uh, but in terms of a, a difficult par three, it, it'd have to be here in St Andrews, where the ninth hole of the new course, uh, which is you know, a fantastic golf course, but this hole just stands out. It's terrifying. And I actually played this hole a few years ago with a, a, a regular listener to this show, Stuart Armstrong, who I'm sure will be listening to this podcast at some point this week. And uh, Stuart will have nightmares about this too. But the ninth hole at the new course is about 230 yards straight up the hill. The green is blind. To your left, you have the Eden Estuary, and to your right, you have an absolute ton, a jungle of gorse bushes and a very narrow alley up. And I think when Stuart and I played it, it was like being in the military, sort of left, right, left, right. He went left, I went right. I was Theresa May, he was Jeremy Corbyn, which is that horrific thought when you think about it. I wish I hadn't said that. But um, but yeah, so obviously, you know, it's, it was a really difficult hole. I think I actually won that hole with a seven. I'm not even joking. It was, I think Stuart went to the estuary two or three times. It is a, a real brute of a hole. And if you ever come to St Andrews, that's probably one of the hardest holes you'll, you'll face on any of the Lynx courses here. And it's one that I would uh, probably try and skip if I had the chance because it's a real tough one. Then it's followed by a very hard par four after that. So obviously par threes, you know, they're, they stand out to us because they're so often very scenic. Uh, they're obviously very playable and uh, you have some great moments on them. Uh, but the Players' Championship, Sawgrass 17th, is to me it's a little bit too much of a gimmick uh, for a major event at that stage of the round but uh, certainly it is dramatic uh, it strikes fear into the players obviously so much water the psychology of it all is there when you have a big lead uh, so it's uh, it's always dramatic and I'm sure it will be again this week uh, but obviously this month we're into May now the season's really kicked in and uh, it's National Golf Month in the UK and uh, obviously trying to promote the game particularly trying to attract female players to the game get young women involved and get them get their particip- participation numbers up and uh, which is obviously what we want to achieve and on Golf Shit, we have uh, Own the Approach, which is on every single year. We have it back again this year. Obviously, a great campaign to get involved with. Um, and I'll pass over to Owen Davis now, the expert, who will tell you all about Own the Approach and why you should get involved with that this month. Thanks, Kieran. Um, yeah, a new, a new month, a new campaign, uh, a new challenge on Golf Shake and called Own the Approach with TaylorMade Golf. So we've teamed up with TaylorMade really to challenge... Um, users uh, of Goal Shake to uh, improve their green and regulation stats. So it's all about um, seeing if you can improve your iron play into the greens, hit as many greens as you possibly can, as close as you possibly can, and uh, hopefully make some birdies as a result. So um, basically we set up this this challenge to do that, and we're supporting uh, those aims with some tuition content, which you'll find on the mini site if you go to www goalshake.com forward slash only approach i'm sure we'll put a link uh below this podcast um so you can find that as well uh, and um we set set this uh set this up so there's um there's a range of tuition tips from scott booth uh there and uh, darren paris who are both pga professionals um from fundamentals through to some drills you can do to improve your iron play uh, and if you take part it's quite simple there's two ways you can do it you can go on to goalshake um Track your rounds, and if you add your green regulation stats, um, you'll be entered into uh, the sweepstake uh, um, to win a spot on a North versus South uh, only approach tailor-made challenge match, which will play at the Belfry in the summer. Uh, so you'll be able to bring uh, not only yourself but a friend as well, uh, and we'll have uh, a great fun day on the Brabazon course, um, having this North versus South match and uh, and some challenges on the way round as well, no doubt, all to do with owning the approach. So. That's great fun. Um, and the next way you can do it is um, we've got some um, tweets on Twitter. Um, you'll be able to see them out there. There's a video, unfortunately, of me on there explaining how to uh, how to get involved. But you can pledge your allegiance by retweeting um, one of these tweets, either north or south. You'll see there's two separate tweets on there. Uh, if you have a look at our timeline, you'll find them. So retweet those, 
pledge your allegiance um, and you'll be in uh, with a chance of uh, coming with us to the Belfry in the summer as well. And not only that, uh, each week we'll be picking a winner to to um, uh, win some tailor-made TP5X uh, golf balls or TP5 golf balls uh, each week as well for the for the Twitter users. Um, so, yeah, good campaign. Just a lot of fun, really. Uh, and hopefully we'll see uh, some of you there at the Belfry uh, later this year. Yeah, I'm certainly sold on that, Owen. And uh, I must quickly say, I'm assuming that I count as being in the North because, or is this just an English thing you're doing here? If so, that's very discriminatory. I'm, you know, hopefully not. Hopefully I can get in somehow. And get no, no, it's not. It's North, just North versus South of the, the British Isles. So um, okay. you, you count as the North, Kieran. It's I, I'm fine. North, North. I'm very yeah. North. Yeah. You'd have to mix it with some of those Yorkshiremen. <laughs> but, uh, one guy who's certainly been getting involved in this campaign is Matt Holbrook. And obviously people who have followed Matt on Twitter, where well, you can follow him at Matt Holbrook uh, 86 uh, he's, I said I said that on. He's one of the most passionate golfers I've ever seen. He's that passionate. He gets up in the morning, he puts his golf gear on just in case. He can nip out for a few holes in the afternoon. And uh, the, the passion is really uh, infectious, I think, from Matt. He loves the game. He's got so engrossed in it. He's improved his game markedly over the years. It's been quite fun to actually watch him lower his handicap. and His, his scores improve from being in the hundreds to the 90s. And now he's regularly down in the low 80s, trying to break 80 regularly. And uh, that will certainly be coming in the future. So, Matt, I've given you the big build-up there, and I said to how much you love the game, but how did you first get into golf? What was your story? Where did you start playing? When did you start playing? How did you first get involved with the great game of golf? Yeah, well, my um, my very first um, golf session, if you like, was actually uh, at Top Golf uh-huh. uh, down, in Chig- uh, down in Chigwell. Um, and for anybody that doesn't know about Top Golf, it's you know it's it's more it's more fun. It's not the kind of driving range you'd go to specifically to work on your game unless you was local. Um, although they do have pros working there, but all the balls have microchips in, um, and you've got individual targets on on the driving range. And as you as you hit the balls, they land in the targets, and it pops up on the screen. It tells you how far you've hit it. It tells you how close to the center of the target you've got. Um, you know, but it's, it's one of these places where if you were to go there on a Friday or a Saturday night, it's absolutely heaving with young groups of people that are there, not particularly for the golf, maybe for the baskets of chicken, for the, for the beers, um, and just generally having a good time. So, you know, I used to go to Top Golf, uh, quite regularly. Um, and at that point, my, my partner at the time, she was working at a golf course. She bought me a, uh, two or three lessons for her birthday one year. Um, and I went and had the lesson and I was, I was actually quite amazed that within half an hour, this guy's taught me how to hit the ball a little bit straighter. And at mm. that point, I thought, well, now maybe I want to go out on a course and, and try, you know, see, see how I can get on on a course. So I went to, uh, went to a fairly local, just a, a par three, a, a pitch and putt, um, enjoyed that. And it was, it was probably from there really. And then I went off and played my first full round of 18 holes, um, actually at North Weald probably about six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, shot maybe 120, 130. I, I don't know, casting my mind back. Um, but from there, just I, I, I enjoyed um, I enjoyed being outside. I enjoyed the exercise. I enjoyed the challenge. Um, but one of the things that really gripped me about golf is, in the past, I've always been into more team-based sports. Um, yeah. But the thing with golf that I really, really kind of got me, if you like, was was just that whole piece around being able to constantly improve. You know, you can always go out and shoot. You know, you can shoot your lowest number and you come in and you think, well, I've left shots there, there and there. Um, And that's what keeps me coming back. It's it's that piece around improving. Um, 
and, and you know, and then been lucky enough, as you said earlier, to go and play some some lovely courses around the country. And you kind of mix the two elements together with with the improvement and and with the the nice scenery, the nice courses, going away with the boys. It's you know, it's, it's a great combination. I, I don't think you can get with many other sports, if any. Yeah, I think that's very very well put. And uh, interesting there, you mentioned Top Golf, and that kind of got you first involved into it. And people are obviously a little bit suspicious of things like Top Golf, kind of traditionalist, and I think unfairly so. Because to me, in the end, you're essentially introducing golf to new players in a different format. And in the end, you're someone who actually took the game up from that. So that's obviously a great story for Top Golf and a validation, I think, for that going forward. If you had more you know, facilities like that around the UK, that would certainly be beneficial, I think. Just making golf fun and more accessible, and that's can only be a good thing. I think Golf Sixes was actually kind of like that as well, trying to introduce the game in a slightly more condensed and a more enjoyable, uh, more accessible format. But you mentioned they're obviously getting involved in the game and trying to improve your scores and whatnot, and that, again, is obviously the great challenge at golf, is that you're playing against yourself and the golf course. That great individual challenge is obviously there. And obviously, kind of the solitary part of it is good as well. Kind of the t- determination you can have from that. It's handy for folk like me who have no friends, of course, to go out and play myself. But uh, that's just me. But um, so yeah, it's a great game for many reasons. But obviously, Matt, you got involved with Golf Shake. You would record your scores there, your stats. Just how much has recording your numbers, your fairways hit, your greens, your putts, your your sand saves, your scrambling? How much has that helped you track your game? and ultimately improve your game and perhaps advise you on what areas to improve and obviously what areas to talk, work with your, your pros with. How has Golf Shake helped your game? It's, it's helped me immensely. Um, I mean, look, Kieran, I, I, um, you know, I, I have a, a, an interest in, in kind of numbers anyway. I, I know it sounds a little bit geeky, but I deal with numbers a lot in, in, in my day job. Um, uh-huh. Believe it or not, I do find time to do some work from time to time. Unbelievable! Well. <laughs> I find that extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, um, but look, I, I started tracking my I started tracking my scores with Goldshake because I wanted to get an understanding of where my handicap could potentially be, um, and from there mm-hmm. I started to track the advanced stats as well. Um, I, I, I even though I love numbers, I, I don't necessarily have a particularly complex mind. I like things to be nice and simplified for me. Um, and I know the uh, the chap Jason who I have my lessons with will, will certainly verify that for you. Um, by by tracking my stats, it just gave me uh, it gave me a base. It gave me an understanding of of what I need to work on with with anything. If you if you want to make any type of improvement, whether it be in your golf, whether it be with um, weight loss, whether it be financially, you can't do that unless you understand where you need to where, where you need to work on. You have to understand and identify where your strengths and weaknesses lie. Until you've done that, you, you can't really set yourself any long-term goals or any short-term goals if you don't understand where your strengths and weaknesses lie. So that's that's the first thing I would say. And, and goal shaking and, and tracking the stats there, it, it, it gave me that base to be able to keep a track of absolutely everything I was doing. Um you know, I, I think you have to you have to stick with something like that for a long period of time. You know, I, I had a quick check this morning. Um, I think I'm fast approaching 350 rounds tracked on golf shake now. Um, <laughs> you know, and obviously those stats they change throughout the years as well. So you know, you, you it's not mm-hmm. saying that you can nip in and nip out of. I think if you're going to do it, you commit to doing it. Um, and look, I, I've had lessons where I've gone to my pro and I've said to him, I struggled off the tee last week. Forget about what my stats say. I've struggled off the tee last week. Can we work on my driver? I need to be straight or I need to be longer. But I've also had lessons booked in where 
I've I maybe have played well on the weekend, and I've gone to him and he said, right, what do you want to work on? And I, I can't. Well, I don't actually know. You know, let's log into Goalshank. Let's look at my stats. You tell me. You know, yeah. I'm hitting seventy percent fairways, but twenty percent greens, for example. Um, therefore, we need to have a look at your long game, or we need to have a look at your irons. Yeah. Um, he might say, well, look, you're you're missing sixty percent of greens, but you're only getting up and down twenty percent of the time. We need to work on your short game. Mm-hmm. Without those stats there to back me up, you, you're kind of going in blind. Um, yeah. So that's that's really really important. And you know, yeah, I, I got hooked with Golf Shake. I, you know, especially on on social, I, I started to chat to to Darren about the site, and you know, the rest is history, as they say. Here we are, six years later, and I'm sitting there with me Golf Shake jumper on. On the Golf Shake podcast, the Golf Shake of course. Podcast. So there you go. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, finally hit the big time. But uh, yeah, great, great stuff there, Matt. Uh, obviously, you mentioned there, obviously, the stats and trying to improve your game. And certainly anyone that's followed you has seen that gradual improvement in your game from your scores. And I remember watching you on Twitter five, six years ago and seeing you shooting in the hundreds. And now you're down there in the low 80s. Now you're beating me, unfortunately, yeah. regularly with the scores these days. But um, and certainly it's very impressive progression that you've had. But in terms of golf shake, obviously there's a great social element to that as well. A great community. Obviously we have the forums, we have obviously Twitter, Facebook, and uh, a great a great de- depth of golfers there, potential golfers there. So how has playing in some golf shake events and obviously meeting people through social media? Obviously Twitter is a great tool, I think, for golfers and anyone, actually anyone with any kind of niche. Uh, uh, interest. I think Twitter's a fantastic way to meet kind of like-minded people. So how has kind of the social side of uh, Golf Shake and also yourself on Twitter, how has that helped you meet new players and get out there socially and actually enjoy the game even more than you already do? Well, I think it's, um, I, I think, I think it's crazy. I think you, a lot of people don't understand just how powerful social media can be um, yeah. this day and age. And, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd known about Golf Shake for a little while. I'd gone and played in, in some of their events, the North East South. Um, uh, a chap, Chris Perry, runs a, a season opener at, down at his course, uh, Minchin Hampton, which is two lovely golf courses. Um, and you start going along to these sort of events and you start seeing the same names. And I, I don't want to mention everybody because I'll probably forget someone and they'll call me out for not mentioning <laughs> them on the Golf Shake podcast. Um but yeah, as, as you get more involved, you start seeing the same people, and then you know you, you think about get, getting together two, three, four times a year. Um, and I, I started to do my own trip once a year, um, and that was you know I just sent a, a tweet out one evening. Um, what was it? It would have been late 2012. Um, mm-hmm. Thinking about going to Celtic Manor for my birthday in February. Anyone up for it? Um, and I took 23 people to Celtic Manor that year. Many of those guys I hadn't met before. Many of those guys uh, were were based on Twitter or, or on the Golf Shake forums, um, and that escalated. I, I did Celtic Manor in 2014. I went to Prince's in sorry Prince's 2014, Celtic Manor 13, Prince's 14, Belfry 15, Glen Eagles uh, 16, and last year we just went over to Ireland to the K Club. Mm-hmm. And many of those guys have, you know, I've, I've known through Golf Shake. Darren obviously comes as well where, where possible. Um, although sometimes I feel like he's just there for, for a good time because the golf is not where it needs to be. Um, oh dear, that's very hard. <laughs> um, the poor guy can't respond. He's not on that. <laughs> he, he, he has no defense. Yeah, I just found it. And I've got a lovely photo of him actually picking out a ball 
um, on one of the holes at the King's Close at Glen Eagles. He was in a bunker, very, very steep uh, bank, short of the green. Um, and I remember standing there watching him try to get this ball out of the bunker, maybe three or four swings at the golf club later. And I've just caught him pick the ball up and throw it onto the green. Um, and that's, oh, uh, <laughs> that's a long-standing joke with him. Um, but yeah, look, the, the, the social side of it for me is, it is, it is, Sorry, Matt. There's a bit of a delay. Um, yeah, I should probably mention that Darren's the uh, founder of Goalshape.com. I don't think we've mentioned him on this podcast before, but uh, um, certainly a golfer. He's, he's working hard like Matt to get his handicap down, but uh, that's, who, that's who we're referring to when we say Darren. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, um, yes, the, what, what I was going to say was the, the social so, side of it to me is, is almost the other side. You've got the improvement side. You've got the social side. Um, and, and it's nice, you know, when, when you go away and you spend time with, with your friends or people that you're meeting for the first time online, um, it's nice to be able to go away and kind of forget about what score am I going to shoot today? It's, it's, it's nice to not think about how many putts I've gone over today yeah. and just take that enjoyment side out of golf as well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's very, very important to me. Um, the day I stop enjoying golf is, is going to be a sad, sad day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it kind of the, the yeah. social side of it just gives a, a different aspect to the game. Oh, it absolutely does, and I think it's obviously an integral part of the game. And for anyone listening today uh, on, on the podcast, I think it's very much a case of it's worth mentioning that again, if you get involved with Golf Shake socially or in the forums on Twitter, it's a great community to get involved with. If you're looking for if you're new to the game or you're moved to a new area trying to find some potential playing partners it's a great tool to use try and find somebody to play with and obviously the golf courses as well the golf course directory is obviously a great place to go and find new golf courses to play for certain prices and all the great reviews that are there so it's a, it's a tool that i think people should know more about and certainly try and use more because it's a great resource there's so much information there. there's so much potential there for everyone to try and get something out of golf shake uh, like matt holbrook has he's you know obviously a great ambassador for us but you know golf shake has done a lot for him as well in the game and it's uh, been fantastic that way but uh, matt looking at your, your own game right now and obviously as I said earlier you've continually improved you've continually got better your scores have always improved so what are your objectives and goals for the season ahead my my goal is very simple this year is to get my single figure handicap now if I if I get if I get to 9.4 by the end of the year then I'll, I'll, I'll pack up my clubs mm-hmm. until until winter or I'll avoid competitions um, but no, seriously, that, 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 that is the goal this year is to get to the single figure. So I'm currently, um, 11.2, um, mm-hmm. which, which again has, has come down like, like, like you're right. So when I first joined the golf club about five years ago, my, my very first handicap was 25. Um, so that has, that has come down quite a lot. Um, but yeah, just, just, I'm, I'm going for a, a stage at the moment where I've, I've looked at different areas of my game this year, a lot more course management. Um, you know, I, I know that I'm capable of hitting good shots. I know that I'm capable of, of holding good putts. Um, I just feel like I need to be a little bit more smarter on the golf course now. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's what we're, that's what we're working on now. You know, I'm not, I'm not a driver basher off every tee at the minute. I'm trying to, trying to plot my way around the course to avoid danger. Um, stress free golf is the phrase that some would like to use. Um, so yeah, so at, at the moment, this, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm, as I say, there's no such thing as stress. Yeah, as, as I say, I'm still, <laughs> that's a falsehood. still working on it. So, um, but look, in in theory, you know, the, the theory is definitely there. I just need to now put it into practice, um, and and I feel like there's. A good well, you one. mentioned there. Sorry, 
Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned there, obviously, strategy and trying to be intelligent around the golf course. And it's just come to my head that, obviously, earlier this year, you experienced the Tour Caddy experience uh, with, actually, our aforementioned uh, great leader, Darren. And uh, you went to see uh, Steve Brotherhood, who is uh, David Hull's caddy on the European Tour. And he started up this kind of business with a number of other caddies where you can go and play around. They walk the course with you and give you tips and advice, how they would actually uh, uh, caddy for a tour player, give them your advice for what shots to play, course strategy, course management, and try and improve your scores that way. So, Matt, just quickly there, uh, talk about the tour caddy experience and what you learned from that. Yeah, well, that, that was a great day, and Bro was, uh, Bro was brilliant with, with both myself and Darren. Um, look, what, what I, I had, I had a, a few takeaways from, from that session with, uh, with Bro up at Newark. Um, the, the, the first one was he is the advocate of stress-free goal. <laughs> um, you know, he, he doesn't like, he doesn't like bogeys, let alone double bogeys. Um, and he wants, he wants you to get around the course with as little stress as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, just your strategy, just the way that you think about certain things on the golf course. Um, you know, stroke index one doesn't necessarily mean that you have to pull out drive or especially not for Owen with his stroke index one being <laughs> a par three. But in, in, in general, you know, look, my, my golf course stroke index one, it plays about 410 yards off the whites. Um, you don't necessarily have to pull out a driver uh, and, and bash a driver as far up there as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. You know, we have danger off the tee left and right. Um, it makes perfect sense maybe to play a little bit shorter. Yes, you're leaving yourself a longer second shot. Yeah. But as your golf gets better, you get more consistent. Actually hitting 180 yards into a green doesn't phase me as much as what it used to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so he's, he's certainly got me thinking about certain shots, uh, and, and approaching certain holes in different ways. Um, and there are some holes where, you know, it, it feels like a strange thing to be hitting a six iron off of a par five tee. Yeah. But I'll make more fours and fives there now hitting a six iron off a tee than what I would if I was hitting a driver off the tee. You know, I probably made more yeah. sixes and sevens hitting a driver. Um, so that's, that, that was the, one of the biggest takeaways for me. Um, the, the other one was actually, you know, respect the stroke indexes. You know, it's stroke index one for a reason. It's supposed to be the hardest hole on the golf course. Um, you're not expected to make a four on a stroke index one par four. You're expected to make a five. That's what, that's what the stroke mm-hmm. index is there for. That's what your handicap is there for. So, yeah. you know, work out a way of of making a five um and i can guarantee you more times that m- more often than not you probably make a four trying to make a five than what you would make in a six trying to make a four it, it's almost mm. it, it's a crazy way of looking at it but it makes so much sense really um yeah so those, those were the two biggest takeaways i think for me that day uh-huh Oh, certainly. And obviously, for anyone who's interested in that, uh, the Tour Caddy experience, we have plenty of information and reviews on Golf Shake and articles about it, so you can learn more about it. They have caddies all over the country, so if you're up in Scotland or you're anywhere in England, north, south, west, east, Wales or whatever, there's someone who's relatively close to you uh, to go and have a day and, again, get the experience that Matt had and advice and just be able to see the game through a different lens and uh, and get kind of a, an illuminating perspective on the game. But just bringing Owen back in there, because we kind of forgotten about Owen today, and I'm, I'm sorry about that, Owen, you're sitting there very quiet, but uh, bringing you in again, Owen, obviously, you know, Matt mentioned there the core strategy and how that could help his scores and trying to improve that's, his that's game. That's okay. Fascinated <laughs> by Matt's pro- progress. Yes, indeed. But, uh, Owen, just how important do you think, uh, sort of thing that Matt mentioned there in terms sorry, of strategy... Sorry, I lost you there. Sorry. Uh, but are you hearing me now? Are you there, Matt? Uh, Owen? 
We're having a bit of del- we're having a bit of delay with Owen, I think. Yes. Oh, okay, there you are. Owen, just a quick mention there about Matt. Obviously, you mentioned the, uh, the strategy and course management and so on and the importance of that in terms of lowering scores. Just how vital do you think that aspect is uh, for regular golfers and do we actually undervalue course management as amateurs? Yeah, Kieran, I mean, I mean, obviously an amateur myself, but I've, I've been a professional and, and turned back in the end. Um, but I, yeah, the, it is massively under underrated by a uh you know your average golfer about how to work their way around the golf course and i think the point matt just made there about stroke index ones and stroke index twos and threes or even 470 yard par fours or 450 yard par fours you don't have to reach them in two um you know you're meant to make a bogey so sometimes just if you plan your round and plot your way around uh, more sensibly um you know a par five you could probably hit seven iron seven iron seven iron uh, to a lot of par fives and and being a lot better position, so um, I think that's vital. And as you become a better player, like Matt has become, the emphasis moves more and more towards short game, um, chipping and putting, where you can really gain a lot of strokes and core strategy. Um, and then the two the two key areas that you know I, I've obviously looked at Matt's stats as well, and I'm not a professional, so I'm not going to give him too much advice. And he's doing a great job in coming down, but they're, they're the two areas that he will probably need to work on as he moves towards single figures and then hopefully lower than that um and um yeah i mean he obviously had very sound advice from the tour caddy guys and um it, it all makes a lot of sense as he says um if you can think about things a bit more logically and not let not let your ego get in the way um you know you, you'll produce better scores no doubt yeah very much so and uh again as you said i think for any player trying to improve their game in any respect whether whether you're a 20 handicapper or like matt someone trying on on the precipice of single figures i think you know course management making the right decisions taking the kind of the the danger out of play playing the percentage shot you know i think that can make such a big difference overall if you can save you know two three four shots around that's you know what a difference that will make to your handicap over a year so yeah i think it's a massive part of the game uh, obviously we're coming to the end of our podcast now it's been a, a very very illuminating and enjoyable one and uh, obviously Matt has been on this week and he's been a, a tremendous guest and uh, Matt how have you enjoyed your your first of many appearances I'm sure on the Golf Shake podcast it's been it's been great um I, I'm just uh, obviously I can I, I know that we've been on for about about 40 minutes now and I've still got so much more to say <laughs> um so I do look forward to getting uh, getting a second invite at some point um but you know, it's it's a shame it's taken you six episodes to to finally invite me uh, on. Well, we do apologise for that. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I must quickly say that I, as a co-host, have no say in who the guests are. I I merely they feed me guests every single week. I just get told who's coming on, and I've got to talk to them. It's... So that's it. I'm I'm. I, I I have no say over anything. I'm just a complete <laughs> vegetable, really, comparatively. It's certainly, so, Matt, it wasn't on Kieran, me. I'm not the man to talk it's to. It's certainly not a personal attack on you. I know the man who I need to speak to. Um, he yes, knows who he is. you do. He does. He does. Yes, indeed. And we will certainly get that message to him at some point as well. He'll certainly be listening to this, and he'll, 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 he has probably got the message right now. He knows. So we'll certainly have you back on, Matt, at some point soon. Uh, Owen, do you have any final comments for Matt before we let him go? No, we'll see you soon, Matt. Um, you know, um, <laughs> nothing really to say to you apart from I'll see you on Twitter and Facebook and whatnot, and uh, no doubt you'll be pestering me and bothering me about something you want to do soon. So um, beyond that, uh, enjoy your golf for the next few weeks, and uh, I'll catch up with you very soon. Yes, and we'll... Uh, yeah, I think I'll see you on the 5th. See you'll see him on the 5th, absolutely.
And uh, yeah, so again, if you want to follow Matt on Twitter, you can get him at, at uh, Matt Holbrook eighty six, uh, which shows you how old he is. He's a very young man. Golf shakes, uh... golf shakes ambassador. Yes, and uh, and uh, obviously Matt obviously is a great entertaining follow. He's also regularly posting videos on YouTube of his adventures and different golf courses that he's played. So if you want to get involved with that, follow him. Maybe even try to arrange it around a golf with him at some point. I'm sure he'll be receptive to that idea. And again, like Matt has done, try and get. Um, and get and, and get involved with the golf shake forums and get involved with the Twitter, get involved in your stats and scores and just try and take them make the most of the great community that we have. And again, and of course the, the tenth anniversary of golf shake is coming up and that's what Matt was referencing a moment ago. So obviously a big anniversary for golf shake coming up uh, later this year and um obviously a a great highlight for us all. So again, thank you very much, Matt Holbrook, for being a great guest this week. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Golf Shake podcast. Again, get out on the golf course, own the approach, record your scores and stats, get involved with the community, improve your game, and again, try and enjoy it. And if you have some nice weather that we have here in St Andrews right now, enjoy that too. Thanks for listening to everybody. Goodbye. Cheers.